Hi, welcome to another episode of My Ireland Adventure. I'm your host, Laurie Callahan. And I am your other host, Joe Ormond. Laurie is from Shreveport, Louisiana in the United States of America. And Joe is from Kilsheelan, County Tipperary, Ireland. Together we get to travel the beautiful Emerald Isle and we'd like to take you along with us. Because we love what we do and we want you to love it too. That intro never gets old. I'm loving that music. Even after it's over, I'm still humming it. Yeah, I'm just, uh, after coming in off the dance floor there, I'm still dancing. <laughs> I hope you love it too. That is true. I hope you love the tune. All right, so that's great stuff again. And uh, let's go with another episode of My Ireland Adventure. As we always say, you can find us on our Facebook page, our Facebook group, My Ireland Adventure. Our website is available, myirelandadventure.com. And thank you for interacting with us and asking us uh, all these questions to get answered, which Laurie is going to do as an American coming to Ireland. And she's more in place to answer these questions, I suppose. So what have we got today, Laurie? (laughs) What's on uh, insurance? Has been people asking about? Yeah, had some questions about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Travel insurance and extra health insurance. Okay, so you have several different options. There is the option, of course, when you purchase your plane tickets to um, to opt for travel insurance through them, through your airlines. Um, there's also the option of researching it yourself, just Googling. That's one of my favorite things to do, uh, going online and just figuring out which company would provide the best insurance for you. Uh, again, that's a personal preference. You'll have to decide for yourself, but I do... Um, I would suggest you getting some type of travel insurance that would cover your trip in the event something should happen. Hopefully nothing will, but you definitely want to be covered. You also want to make sure you get extra health coverage, um, travel health insurance. You can contact your provider, your own provider for that, and they can make some suggestions, um, give you names of companies, or they may even be able to do it as well. So those are the things that you definitely want to do. Take care of your travel insurance and your extra health insurance because you do not want for something unforeseen to occur and you not be prepared for that. Okay, and some of the other questions we had pertain to what type of clothing should be worn in Ireland. When people come over, they want to know how they should pack. What are they going to wear? What's the weather like? And one of the questions I get asked a lot, and you've probably heard it too, is, well, what's, what's the rainy season? I don't want to come during the rainy season, or does Ireland have a rainy season? Mm, how would you answer that? <laughs> well, it's always a question that's asked for sure. What's the best time of the year to come? And um, that that uh, is a, um, a wide variety of answers. The rain, you cannot ever tell when it's going to rain in Ireland. That's one thing I would say straight off. Um, the one thing is for sure, the average rainfall we get every year over an annual 12 months will be the same every year. The thing is, you're just never sure when it's going to happen. Mm. So you could get you could get a very dry January, February, March. Uh, but if that happens, you're almost guaranteed to get a wet summer, uh, at least from May, June, July. There are the times you don't want it. Okay, so it could also work the other way around when you will get uh, rain and frost and snow in those months like January, February, March, and then the spring and into the summer will be good. Now, two two years ago, we had a really, really hot summer. Um, it was a, a drought situation where we had three months of no rain, no not one drop of rain. 
Um, I've never seen it myself to happen like that, but it did. And the I grass... think that's probably because I came over then and brought the rain back to Louisiana with me. <laughs> well, if that, if that's the way it works. Um, I'm going to have to ask you to do it again. <laughs> because, well, I'll maybe, try. I'll try maybe to not in that, that extreme, maybe because <laughs> the the grass was burnt out to a crisp, and uh, you know agriculture suffered a lot of things suffered because of that. Rivers and uh, um, river life suffer. So even though we do like to have the sunshine, we also know that we need the rain a lot. Anyway, that's not answering the question of what to wear. Um, it's just giving a guide as to it's impossible to say to you it's going to be dry in June or it's going to be dry in July. We hope it will be, and that's the way it should be. But the real difference is that the uh, length of day, uh, daylight hours is probably more important because from uh, April onwards, when the clocks go forward, you will have daylight uh, from then until eight o'clock in April. It'll go on to nine, half nine in May. And the longest day of the year, the 21st of June, will have uh, daylight up to maybe half 10, 11 o'clock at night on a really good uh, summer's evening. So if it's a mild uh, summer's day and, you know, you're talking around 20 degrees or so Celsius, um, that's that's a good summer's day here. And that'll stretch on into the evening. So it won't be that cold. You won't ever have real freezing cold weather. Um, especially at that time um, you may get damp you may get rain but uh, it's unlikely that you'd have to be wrapping yourself up in all sorts of woolly clothes and all that kind of stuff so yeah some extra layers would be useful like uh, a light rain jacket um, a cap um, you know short sleeves long sleeves maybe a thing like something like a hoodie or a, a jumper would be useful but just just to clarify jumper means a sweater okay right that's just <laughs> i'm glad you said that because that's it yeah wrap yourself up in your oskins and jumpers um that's a sweater uh jumper would be what we we call a jumper and you would call a sweater yeah fair enough and that's that so but you know like i said just bring enough but um not not something that's going to be uh, you're going to be stuffing your suitcase with uh, lots of warm clothes or heavy right. clothes or anything like that. If you if if it does get cold, generally one more layer will do you, uh, or a light jacket, you know. So yeah, it's very mild. It it is typically the, yeah, it is a temperate climate, and most of our uh, weather is coming up from the south anyway. It's from a Gulf Stream weather coming up, and it's warm air generally or from the west if we get a lot of rain it's coming in from the west in off the atlantic um, so the cold stuff usually comes from the north or the east and we don't really get that you know much in summertime from you know between may and september so again just to recap it's sort of daylight is probably more important that you'll have uh, sunrise in the middle of june you will have sunrise in around four half four in the morning five o'clock it's bright it's you know dawn is there and you won't have sunset till maybe half 10 11 o'clock and dusk will be beyond that so that's the the, the kind of length of day that you'll have so it, it'll never be it'll never go below it'd be very unusual for it to go below 12 or 13 degrees celsius or that kind of thing that'd be very cold uh summer's day here 
So Celsius, could you give that to us in Fahrenheit? Okay, yeah, sure. You deal in Fahrenheit. Uh, so 20 degrees Celsius would be around uh, 68 degrees towards 70 degrees Fahrenheit. And if it was around 12, 13 degrees, it would be early 50s, like 53, 54 Oh, goodness, very Fahrenheit. mild, yeah. Yeah, so, but, you know, um, that's about as cool as it, it would get, uh, 50s. Um, and very unusual that it would go anywhere into we'll say the 90s 80s 80s uh, Fahrenheit but it could it's it's quite possible that it would in June and July August those get months. into the 80s yeah it could okay. so again if they, if that happens then you don't need much clothes at all just a pair yeah, of speedos and, and a bikini <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness so yeah layering is definitely a great idea perfect suggestion Exactly. That's uh, the best way to put it, I suppose. Okay, so moving right along. In the last episode, you mentioned that um, we were going to be discussing the history of Clonmel. We were moving right along from St. Patrick's Well. And so I'm just going to go ahead and let you take over from there, okay? Okay, Laurie, let's do it so. And uh, talk about Clonmel. So I'll mention Clonmel first of all. Uh, the Irish name Clonmel is Clunmela, And translated, that means meadow of honey. Now, that uh, relates mostly to the agricultural land that's in the area. It's very rich agricultural land in uh, Tipperary, Cork, Waterford, Kilkenny, Limerick, those kind of regions. And that's where we are right in the heart of all that. So it's very rich uh, agriculturally and you can practically grow anything on the land around here and uh, farmers usually do. So it's also Clonmel and uh, Kilsheel and Carrick and Shore, Care, those towns are all built along the River Shore. And the Cumra Mountains on the County Waterford side uh, is the river is like a natural border and it's got Slevenamon on the other side. So it's uh, in the Shore Valley. It's what it's known as or the Slevenamon Valley sometimes. So Clamel is a walled town and it's the largest town in the southeast or the largest inland town in Ireland, in fact. And a lot of the buildings, the older buildings uh, will date back to around 11th and 12th century which uh, coincides with the fact that the Norman invasion occurred around that time. Now, the southeast of Ireland at that time, and Clamell uh, was no different, was being ruled by the Butler family uh, who held the title the Earl of Ormond. And they uh, ruled this whole southeast of Ireland. And they were part of the Normans. Now, it's it's uh, we probably have to mention who were the Normans, why were they here, and how did they come here? and uh, to go any further and we're always mentioning them so we probably have to discuss why they were here and who they were so in the mid 1100s there was a king of leinster called dermot mcmurrah and he had uh, lost a battle with the king of connacht rory o'connor and as a result of this he had been humiliated and he had fled the country but in order to try and win back his kingdom he ended up uh, sailing to Britain and he sought a meeting with King Henry II, who was the King of England at the time. And he thought Henry might help him in his quest. So Henry wasn't all that interested because it was going to be an expensive battle for him or getting involved in a war wasn't really what he was interested at that time. So he advised MacMorris to recruit anyone he could get if he could get an army to recruit and bring back to Ireland to try and uh, restore his crown he did so 
he went towards the, the west of Britain and around the Wales area and he met a man called Richard de Clare and he held the title Earl of Pembroke. Now de Clare was also better known and became known now as Strongbow uh, which related to his prowess with a bow and arrow. He was good at the archery. So he had a chat with him, they discussed things and he decided that MacMurra offered Strongbow his daughter Aoife in marriage and the Kingdom of Leinster upon MacMurra's own debt if he assisted him in restoring him to his title of the King of Leinster. So Strongbow, who had little future in England at that time, probably thought about it and he thought the prospect of inheriting an entire kingdom in Ireland uh, was pretty appealing to him. So it took two years for Strongbow uh, to gather a, an army of 600 archers and cavalry and recruited 500 Irishmen who were loyal to McMurray at the time. And this army sailed into Wexford, uh, which was a Viking city of Wiseford at the time. And they took uh, Wexford and the surrounding area. And after some more successes in the area, he saw him regain some of his kingdom and as well as the allegiance of Dublin. So he met with O'Connor again and uh, he decided that they would sign a treaty that allowed him to be restored as King of Leinster. So he, he regained his title with the assistance of Strongbow. Only thing is, McMurray got a bit greedy and he decided that he wanted to have more. And he decided to plot how he might use this new his new Welsh allies to uh, take O'Connor out and become High King himself. So part of his treaty was that he recognised O'Connor as the High King of Ireland, but that's what he wanted. So he sought more help from Strongbow and asked for more reinforcements and they decided that they would go again and took uh, landed in Waterford, which was at the time the uh, Viking city of Vardafjord. Now during this time McMurray kept his word to Strongbow and gave him his daughter Aoife as his wife and they did duly get married. So thereby Strongbow was set to become uh, heir to Leinster's throne. So Strongbow's men then went north and attacked and defeated Dublin expelling the, the Norse leader that was in power there and pretty soon afterwards in 1171 in fact everything changed. Uh, McMurray died and Strongbow was then crowned uh, King of Leinster. So he was King Richard of Leinster and it was the first time that a non-native king had be become a, a king of an Irish province. So the other kings in Ireland uh, weren't too happy with this and uh, it was pretty much of a surprise how, how quickly uh, this had happened. So O'Connor established uh, an army. He got together 60,000 men and decided to lay siege to uh, Dublin. And however, with this, Strongbow had turned the tables and with his uh, Anglo-French military and their technology and tactics that they had superior uh, wartime tactics at that time, they had uh, more skills involved and probably better weapons. O'Connor had to retire uh, humiliated back to Connacht and he was only king in name. Now 
Strongbow was the strong leader in Ireland and he continued his attacks northward and basically took uh, a, a lot of Ireland's uh, east coast under his power at that time. So this is basically the beginning of the Norman invasion and how the Normans came to rule in Ireland and up to this day in fact uh, which became British power really. But over time with uh, with Normans coming into Ireland and settling in Ireland uh, they like I said previously they had very strong Catholic views in those days they were very good uh, builders uh, their architecture uh, still stands the test of time lots of the castles that are uh, were built were built by the Normans they had very superior architectural skills and uh, engineering skills and the Romanesque ar archways and so on that you see in a lot of the cathedrals, churches uh, and castles around would have been f f uh, from the beginning of the Norman invasion. And it's often actually said uh, that was passed at the time that the Normans became more Irish than the Irish themselves. Mm. And uh, that was a true fact. So for centuries, there was it was never ending sort of invasions attacks and takeovers or attempted takeovers and um the the butlers in this in the southeast of ireland were part of the norman invasion and they were granted that area to rule over uh, the southeast as long as they paid their taxes and they were loyal to the british throne the british monarchy uh, everything was running smoothly now in this area we had uh, castles such as Kilkenny Castle that we have mentioned, the Ormond Castle in Tudor Manor in Carrick on Shore, Kilcash Castle, which is just uh, four or five miles from Kilsheelan, right under the foot of Slevenaman. You had Kerr Castle, which was uh, another magnificent castle uh, about eight to ten miles uh, west of Clonmel, and indeed Clonmel Town itself. Uh, a lot of the construction there was a result of the butlers also. So in Clonmel, a lot of the construction and architecture, as we said, uh, is uh, dating back to the butler era. Uh, buildings like the uh, Friary, uh, the Church of the Friary or St. Mary's Church is dating back to those times, 12th, 13th century. The main guard, as we call it these days, in the centre of the town was the courthouse that was used in the medieval times and it was a walled town and with most walled towns or cities uh, in Ireland uh, what happened was the Normans lived on the inside of the walls but the, the Irish actually lived on the outside of the walls but they would have been allowed in for uh, trade purposes or to do their uh, basic shopping whatever they needed provisions but they would have to ha leave the inside of the walls again that that evening and the gates would be closed so ironically enough the Irish lived outside the walls and in a lot of towns and cities that street became known as Irish town and Clamell is no different as you approach the west gate and just outside the west gate that street and that area up there is known as Irish town also a very industrious town um, mills the milling industry was very strong in Clamell and uh, one other industry that might be of note is cider cider making i know laurie you've uh, got a taste for the bulmer's I do. cider in Clamell, I do. Yeah? that was my first drink at the ormond stores actually 
You introduced me to that one. I did, yeah, uh, because it's a lovely, sweet, uh, fruity drink and a nice one in the summertime when we have all this lovely hot weather here. Yes. Quenches the thirst, doesn't it? Keep my fridge well stocked with bummers. But I don't necessarily just drink it in the summertime, that's for sure. Well, it doesn't have to be just drank in summertime. It's (laughs) a nice drink all year round. It is, it really is. But they do some soft drinks too, apple drinks, uh, you know, Sidona, and uh, that's not alcohol. And um, they're nice too. Now, the other interesting thing about this area is that uh, there was a towpath along the river shore, which brought uh, goods up along the river by boat, which was drawn by horses. And the pathway went all the way up along the river bank, stopped at some of the tower houses along the way, especially in around the 1500s, 1600s. And there was stop-offs, and Kilsheelan, in fact, was one of them, where they would drop off trade for trade purposes, provisions, food, and uh, any other items. And they would have been then transported to uh, a trading post called the Ormond Stores. Now, that would also run on to Clonmel and into uh, towns like Care, But it was a, a horse-drawn boat that uh, did the work. Now, that pathway was there always for many centuries. And over time, it uh, became less important because uh, the system of transport changed. And it just became overgrown. So over uh, that time, it became overgrown. And a few years back, um, the idea was brought up that it would be a good idea to make a cycle path or a walkway along the river shore on the same pathway and reopen it. And this was done. And, and um, I'm so glad that it was. I have uh, benefited from that so much. <laughs> I was just about to I think s- many people have. I was about to say that, Laurie. You've been on this so many times on your bike, walking it. You've walked it a few times. You've fished it, actually, haven't you? Yeah. Yourself yeah, and we Gordon? Did. We sure did. Yeah. We certainly did. That was fun, too. I know a lot of people are definitely enjoying it now, especially. Yeah, because it's uh, the River Shore is very rich in salmon and trout at this present time. And uh, it's been very popular this year with uh, fishermen coming from all over. And um, I was delighted to see yourself and Gordon uh, mm-hmm. avail of this too. Uh, great, great crack down there, right? Oh, yeah, lots of fun. We had a good time. Yeah. And of course, you know, had to video all that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's great. You've got the video. You've got the evidence. Just a pity you it didn't happened. land a salmon. That's the only thing. <laughs> okay, you didn't have to mention that, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> I can pretend. I can say it anyway. I think that was the one day of the year the river actually rose a bit, wasn't it? It was a little bit murky, (laughs) a little bit high. But uh, as regards the cycle path, though, um, you've cycled from Carrick, uh, have you? Yes. Yeah. All the way to Kilsheelan and vice versa. Wonderful. Yeah. And the scenery is fabulous all along the mountains. It's always so pretty. Yes. It's beautiful. Lots Lots of photo ops there along the way. And you like taking photo ops? Of course I do. Sheep. <laughs> sheep cows? Gotta get, oh my goodness, you can't have enough pictures of cows and sheep. How many pictures of sheep do you need? But yeah, <laughs> ask my kids. <laughs> They're still wanting to know. Well, you'll get all that along there, and anyone uh, inclined to cycle or walk uh, that pathway are definitely most most welcome to do so when they are touring with us. Yeah, we are always excited to take tourists down to the river. In fact, we love taking tourists all over Ireland, which is exactly what we're doing in our podcast. That's what we're 
um, what our episodes are about, just being able to take you guys kind of virtually to these places, the places we go on our tours. So tune in. We've got lots more for you coming up. And I look forward to you spending time with us. And if any of you are in our Facebook group, um, keep sending those questions. We like to answer those. We'll be doing that in future episodes as well. We need your help with that. We definitely like to answer those and make sure that when our tours get over here, y'all are well equipped. So with that, I will go ahead and sign off and say shalom to y'all. Okay, just a quick reminder to check out our Facebook group page my ireland adventure and our website myirelandadventure.com please feel free to join us on the group and pose any questions that you like there's answers. our music say our bye music. joe it's time to say goodbye <laughs> you're cutting me off you're getting rid of me music. time to go bye y'all okay slong lads slong of all goodbye hope you enjoyed listening and that you will come back for more